This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. This one's called God Favors Us. We're in that little Old Testament romantic letter called Ruth because we're looking at a romance between Ruth and a man by the name of Boaz. He's an older man. She's a widower. She's a young girl, young woman. And uh, there's quite a bunch of years between the two. And it really is a picture of uh, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and how He redeems us, the Gentile church bride. And Ruth is a Moabite. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. And Boaz is called the, the kinsman. He's the Redeemer. He's what's called the Goel. Uh, and so it's a beautiful picture of that. But in it, there's a great love story. And I like the love story. So we finished off... Um, Last time at the end of verse 9, uh, with quite a few things, we're going to pick up in verse 10. Today I call this one, God favors us. Because Boaz, a picture of Jesus, he favors Ruth. Now, verse 10 says this. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? Since I... Emma Foreigner. Oh my gosh. What a great, great statement. What a great question. He's doing good stuff, good things for her by giving her food and water and everything, so providing for her, protecting her. And there's no romance yet. There's nothing whatsoever. <clears throat> and she makes that great statement. Why have I found favor in your sight? Let me tell you. I think that we ask ourselves the wrong questions sometimes. Listen to me, somebody. Sometimes we sit there and say, why is all this bad happening to me? And we like to dwell in those places, don't we? <clears throat> She's asking, why are all these good things happening to me? Look, do bad things happen to us? Yeah, you, me, all of us. Do good things happen? Yeah, they do. It's the question of, which direction are you going to point your thinking? Well, I determined a long time ago, my thinking is going to be owned by God. Not by what I hear, not by what's projected at me on television, not by social media, but by God and God's Word. And God's Word leads me to look at all the good stuff. To look at all the good things God has done in my life. And not dwell on the negatives. Because I could find negatives in my life. Ain't no doubt about it. And so can you. But you know what? She says, why are these good things happening to me? <clears throat> that's the right attitude. And that's the attitude that you and I need to bring to the table. Now, she's young. Remember that. He's an older man. And she says, why are you doing all these things to me? for me? Um, now think about that. The way she talks to him. Very respectful. You know, teach your children well. Because young people are losing respect for the older generation in these latest uh, generations of time now. Teach your kids to respect the older generation. They've paid their dues. They've pushed our nation forward. Respect them. They've lived their life. Teach young people to respect the older generation. Never forget that. Never forget that. If you start teaching respect, your children to respect that, they'll start respecting everyone. 
and we need that in our country. Now, <clears throat> she says in that verse, I'm a foreigner, basically. Now, what she's saying, I know I don't belong here. I know I'm not a Jewish person. And so you showing favor to me, I, I, I know I don't deserve it. But the best thing is within that, she says, why have I found favor? Favor. Why have I found grace? Why, why are you doing this for me? I, have, I am a foreigner. I don't deserve this stuff. Why are you doing this for me? I don't, I've never, I haven't earned it. I just showed up today. Why, why are you doing this for me? Okay. Let's talk about grace because grace is the favor of God upon you and I that we can't earn, we can't work for, we can't do enough good deeds to get that grace and favor. Let me tell you what that means. It's very hard to accept grace. It might be one of the most difficult things for humanity to accept from God. And that's the difference between all religions of the world, which they are religions, and Christianity, which is a relationship with God. All the other ones say, you must work your way to get to whatever their concept of heaven or the afterlife is. Christianity says, no, you can't work your way there. Jesus came down and did the work, and he favors us because we just can't earn our way there. He just graces us. It's hard to accept because we're a society, for the most part, that has um, learned that we earn our way through life. So let me, let me show you some things about grace, and then let me show you how the devil plays in the mind, and then let me show you how great the grace is that he's given her, okay? So first thing, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. This is a couple of verses. I would, I would strongly commit them to memory. I would write them down, and you know, I don't know if they still use flashcards or not, but flashcard, and car, write it down, and you know, take a picture on your phone, whatever it is, and, and, and memorize it. Now watch this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And there are many verses that confirm this in the New Testament. It says, For by grace, favor of God that you can't earn, you have been saved through faith. So you put your faith in Jesus. He has graced you. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. When you get a gift, you don't say, well, can I pay for that? No, it's just a gift. Just take it. And for some of us, very hard to receive a gift. We feel like we got to pay back something. Verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm. Okay. You're saved not by what you do, not by how many good works you can do. We do good works because... He saved us. We don't do good works to try to be saved or more saved. Mm -mm. I'm already saved, accepted, and loved. Therefore, I operate in good works. But I don't do all these good works to hopefully be accepted, saved, and loved. Okay, it's like this. There are certain groups that come door to door from time to time to your homes. I don't know if you open the door or not. Sometimes I do if I feel like dialoguing, and if I'm in a hurry, I don't feel like it, then I just don't. But sometimes I do. And when I do, I follow a certain set of thinking because 
I know what they believe. And they're not going to give me everything they believe. They're going to tell me, oh, Jesus Christ, he's the one. By, we're saved by him and his blood on the cross. But then you have to get in the nitty-gritty and ask them, okay, so I don't have to do any good works to really be saved. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, so I have to do good works to be saved? Yes, you have to, because they all believe that. They're, going to get, they're not going to give you that up front, but they do believe that. So when I get them to that point, you know what I ask them? How many good works is enough? That's the loaded question, my friends. You should, man, they don't even know what to say because if, because I say, well, okay, is 150 good works enough? Is a thousand good works enough? How many is enough? So I know when I get there, I'm done with the good works. How many is enough? Well, you, I, I don't know. So you can't tell me how many is enough? Well, no, I really can't. So you really can't tell me if you're saved or not, right? And that's the problem, isn't it? How much is enough? How good is good enough? They can't answer that. I can tell you what the Bible says. You'll never be good enough. None of us are. And I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm not good enough. Jesus is the only good one. And he came down and he solved the problem. And by solving the problem through his death, shed blood, and resurrection, he offers us grace. And if I put my faith in him, become a follower of him, the grace is all over me and he just favors me. Now here is how the devil plays in my mind and in your mind. Watch. Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 5. Watch this. This is after Moses has done the big first miracle. He's trying to free uh, the Israelites from slavery after 400 and about 30 years and something like that. And, <clears throat> and so Pharaoh has ordered, oh yeah, okay, you know, since you came and tried to free them, I'm going to order that they have to still make their quota of bricks not one less, but I'm not giving him any straw, and it better be good. Whoa, he comes down harder on the Israelites when salvation is coming to them. Think about it. Now, let me read this. Here's what Pharaoh says. But he said, <clears throat> You are lazy. Very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Hmm. So go now and work. Work. For you shall be given no straw. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. God's grace begins. Satan piles it on tougher. Verse 19, the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. There's a bunch of stuff that Satan does in our head in those verses right there. The moment God's grace is poured out on you and you experience salvation, what? Satan tries to get you and he tries to say, you got to work for this stuff. You got to work harder. You got to make the bricks. We're not going to give you any straw. It's going to be tougher. He starts to make you think that way, that you've got to somehow earn forgiveness and earn your way back if you, if you sinned. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And then he adds in 19 that the sons of Israel, the son, they, they saw that we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Stop. Stop and listen to me right now. Satan comes in your head 
and he tries to eliminate the grace and the favor of God in you and tries to make you think you're in trouble. You messed up that. Remember three days ago when you did that? You're in trouble. God's mad at you. Isn't that what Adam and Eve felt the moment they sinned? They went hiding from God. Would they feel we're in trouble? We're in trouble. That's what Satan always does. Think of how many of us out there at times we feel like I'm in trouble. And then it translates into everyday life. How many of you have felt like you're in trouble in relationships? You're in trouble at work. You're in trouble over here. You're, you're, I'm always in trouble. You're not in trouble. And if you're in a, a grown-up, I tell this to grown-ups, you're a grown-up now. No one's in trouble. But it's a lie of the devil. And it goes back to the grace of God and the favor of God upon us. And I've got to earn it. And if I stumbled and fell, I'm in trouble and this and that. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's a lie of the devil. Did you hear what I said? I hope you picked up on everything I said there. Because I'm here. the scriptures free you from this old crazy thinking. It's crazy thinking. This is the truth. Not social media. Not the news. Not what your neighbor is saying. This is what's true. Go with this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. My mind belongs to God and not to anything or anyone else. I'm not going to let all the cultural thinking get in there. I'm not going to let the devil get in there and try to sway my thinking. God favors you, my friend. You never have to worry about how, much, how many good deeds is enough. You're saved. God favors you. And then from there, you want to serve God. Not to earn His love. Not to earn forgiveness. Not to earn something. It's already done deal. It's done. But Satan's going to get in there. Once the grace of God is poured upon your life, he's going to start telling you, you're in trouble. You better work harder. You got to work for forgiveness. You got to work for all these things. Now, you better watch for that. Now, <clears throat> turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Watch this. I love this. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3. Watch. It says, Now, <clears throat> this is Old Testament law. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants. Even to the tenth generation shall enter the assembly of the Lord. In other words, saying, Look, ain't no, no, no Ammonite. No Moabite ain't coming in the tabernacle area. For 10 generations, they ain't coming in. What is Ruth? By ethnicity. She's a Moabite. Oh, whoa. She's a Moabite. It says here, they can't come into the tabernacle area for 10 generations. But here comes swooping in the man from Bethlehem. Boaz, just like Jesus, the man from Bethlehem, because was born, came, and all of us who couldn't come near to God because of our sin, we couldn't come into the assembly of God because of our sins, and the man from Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, like, like Boaz with Ruth, he comes swooping in, and he goes to the cross, and he carries our sins, and he sheds his blood to forgive us, and they bury him. And three days later, he rises from the dead. And he gives us grace. He gives us grace. And that's something. I like that a lot. Okay, back to Ruth chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother 
in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. He says, I heard some good things about you. And guys, <clears throat> it's a little town. Bethlehem, where it's a little town. Everybody knows everybody's business. Let me tell you the first thing about this. The Bible teaches a good name is to be uh, is better than great wealth. A good name is better, more desired than great wealth. You say, oh, I don't know if I buy that. Really, you don't? Don't you want a good name? I want a good name. <clears throat> but here's what I want you to think about. Last week I told you that um, she's out there, been out in the field. She's dirty, stinky, everything else. So what's drawing Boaz to her? A good reputation. She's got a good reputation. She's pure. She's a servant. She's unselfish. <clears throat> a good reputation is drawing him in. Our society reverses that, and you know it's true. Everything's outward, outward uh, uh, image. Everything's image. Everything is image outwardly. And, uh, and, and the character and the inward person, that, that's like down, down the line. It's secondary. <clears throat> no, you can't do that. I remember one guy, this was like 30 years ago, 30-some years ago. I'll never forget the statement. And he said, next time I'm marrying <laughs> for personality. <laughs> Because he married for looks. And he wasn't having a good time. Now, I'm not saying a person who's very good looking can't have great personality and great character. They can. But just be careful. Just be careful. Now, <clears throat> what he says here in verse 11 is this. He says, it's been fully reported to me about you. In other words, I know all about you. I know everything about you, girl. Now, I like that. You know why? Because he knows all about her and he's drawn to her. Question, does God know all about you and I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yet he still wants me and still wants you. Flaws, failures, mistakes, blunders, stupid statements and all. Yeah, he still wants us. God knows everything about you and I. He still wants us. Let me tell you what that's called. True love. <clears throat> to know someone Laws and all. Quirky, weird idiosyncrasies and all. And still want us. <laughs> That's love. Society does the opposite. The more God knows us, which he knows all about, but the more God knows us, sees all our flaws, he still loves and loves and loves. Society and you know it's true, the more flaws, the more things they see in us in a relationship, the less and less and less the people like and love. That's wild. That's wild. See, true love is why your marriage lasted, because true love loves in spite of the flaws. Marriages fail because true love it wasn't true love because once they see the flaws, they begin the judgment. They begin to judge those flaws. True love exists at the expense of judgment. Never forget that. Never forget that. Now, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 12. 
it says, May the Lord reward your work. He's talking to her. And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This guy sounds pretty spiritual to me. Then she said, here's what her response is. <clears throat> because first she says, why are you favoring me? Now she says, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now, first things first. Earlier in verse 10, she said, why have I found favor? She can't believe grace. And now she says, I have found favor. She understands grace and she's getting it. Guys, you got to get grace. You got to get it, understand it, and keep it. But when she says these things in verse 13, you know what? It's like what she's saying. It's like she's saying, thank you. Thank you. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Learn to say thank you. Teach your children well. Teach them to say thank you. But you say thank you. You know, learn to say thank you to God. That's an attitude of worship and praise, by the way. Say thank you to God. It's interesting that Americans, we have so much. I mean, high, the high, high percentage of us have so much. And you say, well, I have a lot. Well, go to a third world country where they're living inside a little thing. You have a lot. We have so much uh, uh, that we have... Um, in life, but, but, but so many people feel like something's missing. I have so much, but I feel like something's wrong. Something's missing. Let me give you a thought on that. <clears throat> I think maybe that we have much to be thankful for, but we have no one to be thankful to. Let me say it again. We have much to be thankful for, but we have no one to be thankful to. Now, as a follower of Christ, I have... I'm a blessed guy, but I have someone to be thankful to and to give credit to and to give honor to. I could say, thank you, God. We enter into his courts with thanksgiving in our heart is what the psalmist said. Learn to say thank you. You know, say thank you to your employers. Well, I worked for it. So what? They gave you a job. Be thankful. Be thankful. A thankful heart is a healing heart. It's a soft heart. It's a humble heart. Because ultimately that heart knows that all things come from God. All the good stuff in life comes from God. <clears throat> now, verse 14. At mealtime, <clears throat> Boaz said to her, Okay, now the whole day's gone by. She's been out there working. She's still kind of stinky, dirty, everything else. He says to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Oh man, you know, there's a whole message there. I have so many points in there. Now, let me just tell you the first thing. This is the first sign of romance. But don't think of them dating like we think of dating today. <clears throat> dating today, in dating today, we learn 
and train ourselves on how to end a relationship more than how to continue a relationship. And that's true. Dating today, we are chronically and constantly preparing ourselves on how to end a relationship than how to continue a relationship. Let me tell you what I like about this. He served her. Now don't forget, he became the right person, she became the right person, he's looking for the right person. He has watched her serving out in the field to bring her mother-in-law food. She's doing this serving to feed her mother-in-law, sacrificing her own life, and he sees that, and whatever you sow, you reap. He comes along and he serves her food. What? Could God, who's in charge of everything, see our lives? And the way we live our life is what's going to come back at us? Yeah! Whatever you sow, you reap. It's a simple, simple truth, but it's true nonetheless. Here's what I like. Jeremy said that before. I know here's another one, though. He served her. Boy, you said that already. Wait a minute. Wait, I'm not, man. Wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> He's not a one-way relationship. Oh, you know what a one-way relationship looks like, right? That's where you're dating somebody and it's all, it's all about them. Everything's about them. You serving them. You doing for them. And they never think about your feelings, your desires, your wants, or anything else. It's always about them. That's a one-way relationship. <clears throat> He is not thinking about his needs in the moment. He's thinking about her needs. That's what he's thinking about. And in no way is he even thinking romantically at all. He's an old guy, guys. But here's the beautiful picture. Think of the beautiful picture just in this verse. Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Ruth is a picture of, because she's a Moabite, not a Jew, she's a picture of the Gentile church like the bride of Christ. It's a, it's a picture of us. He serves her bread and vinegar, or vinegar is like wine, bread and, and wine. She dips the bread in that. What is that? It's communion. Whoa. The, the soon-to-be romance begins in this communion spiritual environment. He's a spiritual guy. He's doing the right stuff. It's a picture of Jesus in the church. This is a great thing. <clears throat> now, side note. Side note. And by the way, when he serves her these things in fellowship, in communion, it says uh, she, she, she was satisfied. Your satisfaction comes from Christ. It's good to have things. Every so often you make these purchases, you buy this. It's, they're cool, but they don't satisfy. Inanimate objects are inadequate for satisfaction. Never forget that. They'll never bring you ultimate happiness. Never. No matter what. That's why you ladies, you look in your closet and you have a zillion items. You go, I have nothing to wear. Are you nuts? What you're saying is, I'm not satisfied. I'm not picking on you ladies. Okay, yes I am. Okay, no I'm not. But that's just what popped in my head. There's many ways to look at it. Now, <clears throat> here's what I like to do. It says, 
At the very end of verse 14, she had some left. Oh. She didn't need everything he put in front of her. Smart move, lady. What if she's telling go? <laughs> He'd be going, I can't, I can't afford her. Look at her appetite. <laughs> okay, that's just a joke, okay? But uh, first dates, you ever notice that uh, you're not going to eat a lot? Oh, I just want a little salad. <laughs> no, here's what I think on this one. Um, um, she has some left. Why? There's a mother-in-law back, back at home. I'm going to take some of this roasted grain to my mother-in-law. Wow. She's not a one-way relationship either. She's thinking about somebody else. He's thinking not of himself. He's thinking about her. She's thinking about her mother-in-law. Man, this, these two people are the right people for each other. They're unselfish. They're not one-way relationship people. I like that. <clears throat> it's like, it's, <laughs> it'd be like taking somebody um, on a date. I know it's not going to happen, but they, say you take this girl on a date and you go to the movies, of which not open yet. I hope they open soon. It's driving me crazy. And you get the big pops, a big thing of popcorn with butter for her, and she only eats half. And she goes, I'm going to take the rest home to my mama. <laughs> It'd be like that. <laughs> That's what she's doing. Now, look back at four, uh, verse uh, 12, 14 again. Um, who is she sitting besides and eating with? The reapers. <clears throat> wow. That's a social setting. Well, Jimmy brought that up last week. Yeah, it's a social setting. Very important. Dating happens in social settings. You need a lot of that, okay? It's a good way to see how that person interacts with others. But here's another reason. One of my favorite little, little scenes in one of my favorite movies, The Godfather, the first movie. When Michael has, is, you know, he's done all his stuff and he has to flee to Italy. And he meets Apollonia. And he wants to marry her, so he courts her. And there's that one scene where they're walking this little dirt road, kind of uphill a little bit, and she kind of trips a little bit, and he grabs her by the arm. And, oh, that's sweet. And then all of a sudden, all the older ladies come walking in the picture because <laughs> that's the way the courtship works. You're not taking her anywhere by yourself. The whole family's in on the courtship and all that. It's a social setting. I think that's such a cool scene. And those kinds of old-fashioned ways are not old-fashioned. They're still good things, man. <clears throat> so I say, in the social settings too, when you start dating somebody, Keep all your friends. Keep connected to your friends. They shouldn't sit there and say, well, we haven't talked to her, or we haven't talked to him in months and months because they started dating, we never heard from him again. Keep your social settings. Now, let me finish with this thought. <clears throat> um, she, he says, come here that you may eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Mm. Dip your bread. Dip your bread. I think this is where a little bit of romance begins to show. Just a, just, just a little bit of romance. Because eating with somebody is a sign of acceptance. Jesus tells Judas, he who dips with me in the dish. You ever wonder why? He dips in the dish because it's a sign of friendship, of acceptance. Even though Jesus knows 
you're going to betray me. But I'm going to still dip the bread with you in the dish. <clears throat> Eating with someone is a sign of acceptance. But I want to show you something because remember, Boaz is a Jewish man. She's a Moabite. As I read in Deuteronomy 23, they're not allowed in the tabernacle area and their descendants were 10 generations. But Boaz is the man from Bethlehem is breaking through that thinking. Just like Jesus, the man born in Bethlehem, comes to save us and accept us. Now, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to finish here. It's my favorite chapter, but we're not going to read the prodigal son story. We're going to read the first two verses of the chapter. Now watch this. Verse 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. All the people, all the sinners and the tax collectors are hated by the Jews because they're hired by the Romans, but they're Jewish. The sinners, um, now watch what the Pharisees, the religious people who should be showing the way to God, but they're not. Watch what they do. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, these are all religious people, began to grumble. Oh, they're mad. Saying, this man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. How dare he? What's the big deal about food all the time and Jesus eating with them? Well, first, when they say sinners, they're talking about sinner trades, like tax collectors. If you worked with animal skins, obviously, if you were a, a prostitute, there's sinner trades. Jesus went and ate with all the people in the sinner trades. They were considered by the religious people establishing unclean, unclean. And to eat with them? You accept them. You accept them. Every time you have communion, just think about Jesus is accepting you again. He's always accepting you. They're upset with Jesus. I mean, one reason why is whenever Jesus came to a town, Jesus didn't go to their house. He didn't go to the religious people's homes. He went to the sinners. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the rejected. He went to the outcast. And he, and he eats with them. Boaz, picture of Jesus. He dips the bread with her in the dish. She is a Moabite. She is not allowed in the temple area. She is not allowed her descendants, etc., or the tabernacle area. But he breaks through like the man from Bethlehem did Jesus to save us. To save us. God bless you. I'll talk to you next time. You have a great day. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.